Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be around your throne forevermore. We thank you, Lord, you've given us a down payment on heaven. They've given us the person of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us. Father, as we go to your word right now, we pray and ask in Jesus' name that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, may you be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Again, it's great to have you here. We do hope you feel welcome. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're a part of the family, and so we're just blessed to have you here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. We'll be in the second half of Genesis 26 on Wednesday night. And Lord willing, we may move into chapter 27 as well. So do read ahead and uh, be prepared for Wednesday night study. Now, just brief overview, and I really mean it this morning. Uh, Peter has been writing this letter. And again, both 1st and 2nd Peter, it seems like the... He's really driving the point home because it needs to be driven home. That in the midst of trials and suffering and difficulty, something all of us will face in varying degrees throughout our lifetime as Christians, and typically the more we live for Him, the more of it we're going to face. The exhortation here is not to to become like the world, not to water it down, not to dial it down, not to pull back, not to walk away. And in some cases, the exhortation here is to not just abandon their faith completely. Peter, if anybody, knew what it was like to deny the Lord. And so he writes this letter to say, guys, staying with the Lord, no matter how tough things are, it's always worth it. And the exhortation this morning is, no matter what you're going through, God is faithful. Don't run from Him, run to Him. Amen? So I titled the message this morning because he really starts to get the focus on eternity in the latter half of this chapter about Jesus coming back. And in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, how should we now live? Sometimes in the midst of trials and difficulty, we think, well, I'll just check out for a little while until things get better. But the reality is, we don't know how much longer we have to serve the Lord. And we need to be busy about His work every single day, living in light of eternity, living again, realizing that He could come back at any moment. So I titled the message this morning, if you're a note taker, it's time to live like a Christian. It's time to live like a Christian. Guys, there's too much separation between our talk and our walk. There's too much separation between those who, you know, the Barna study says over 88% of Americans say they're Christians. Well, we know that's not true. And how do we know that someone's really been born again? It's by your fruit they shall know you. It's not just saying who we are, but living it out loud in front of people. So it's time for us to go beyond just saying what we believe and live like we believe it. So, it's time to live like a Christian. Number one, by having the mind of Christ, by having an eternal perspective. This morning, I wanted the youth to stay in here, because as we go through this, you know what? We're all on that battle line, and and even in the high school campuses, there's those battle lines being drawn to, to walk with the world or live for the Lord. To have an eternal perspective in the way we do things or just to go with the flow of the people around us. And the first thing we need to see in living like we're Christians, to live a life like a Christian, is by having the mind of Christ, by having an eternal perspective. Number two, to stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. Stop living for the world. Guys, the treasures on this earth are perishing. Amen? They're passing away. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. Number three, to live every day in light of the judgment to come. Oh, I didn't come for this message. you got to be kidding me. There's judgment coming. 
Yes, there is. But praise God that our Heavenly Father loved us enough to send His Son to take our judgment in our place. Amen? And we need to be ever mindful that sin does have righteous judgment waiting for it. And we need to live every day in light of the fact that not only is there judgment for sin, but also for us as believers when we will stand before the Lord and we will be held accountable for how we live for Him. Not for salvation. We don't earn salvation. We've got that. But there is also the judgment before the Lord where He will reward us for being faithful. So how else do do we live like Christians? We need to be people of prayer. To be people of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. The Lord said, Jesus said, you shall make my father's house a house of prayer. Amen? Guys, if we really believed that God would answer prayer, wouldn't we pray more? Well, we say we believe it, but do we really act like it? Do we live like it? Is prayer our first line of defense or our last resort? Do we turn to the Lord first and foremost and seek his face and come before him? Or is it when we're desperate and we've tried everything else that he's the last ditch effort? It's time for us to live like Christians and to be people of prayer. Number five, to have a fervent love for one another. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. And as Christians, if we're living like it, it ought to be reflected in the way we love each other. Guys, I pray that when you walk in the doors here, you are the most loved people on this planet. And we need to be reaching out and using the gifts God's given us to love one another. And then finally, to be good stewards of the gifts God has given us. When we get to that portion of the text, we're going to find out that everybody in this room, when you got saved, God gave you gifts. You have spiritual gifts. If you are here and you're saved, you have spiritual gifts. And God has called each and every one of us to use the gifts God has given us. So if we are to live like Christians, not just talk about our faith, but actually live it out, then we need to be faithful and good stewards of the gifts God's given us. So let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4. It's time to live like a Christian, to go beyond you know, speaking about our faith, talking about what we believe, but actually living out it out in front of a lost and dying world. So number one, how do we do that? By having the mind of Christ, by having an eternal perspective. Look at verse one. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, therefore, it's tied back to verse 18 of the previous chapter where it said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So Jesus died on the cross. He took all of our sin upon himself. He suffered and died that you and I might have eternal life. He proved himself to be God in that three days later he rose from the dead. Those of you will be baptized today. That's exactly what it's a picture of. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. For us, it doesn't save us. Baptism is not the source of salvation. Baptism is a response to the fact that we indeed have been saved. It is a public confession that yes, I used to be dead in my sins, but now I'm alive in Christ. And so he says, in light of the fact that he paid for our sin the just for the unjust he's the just we're the unjust in case you didn't know so the just died for the unjust that's us and therefore in light of that it says since christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves with the same mind you know what the word arm yourself there is like a soldier getting ready for battle that's what the word means to be you know getting ready to go out and fight the fight to armor up 
Arm yourself, prepare yourself to go out into battle. And then it says, with the same mind, the mind of Christ. You know what? Jesus Christ knew before the foundation of the world that he was going to have to come and die in your place. And even though he knew before sin ever took place, because he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, even though he knew he still created the heavens and the earth, he still allowed us to be born knowing what it would cost him. He was willing to suffer that you and I might have eternal life. And we are called to have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. A willingness to suffer that God might be glorified. Amen? Boy, this is not a name and acclaim message, is it? This is not a feel-good cruise ship to heaven message, is it? Guys, guess what? It's a privilege Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. Guys, if we are to suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel, it is a blessing. It is a blessing because it means God knows he can use you. Isn't that good? God can use you to represent him to a lost and a dying world. We need to understand that suffering is a part of the program. We need to have that same mind, that willingness to lay down our lives that others might come to know the true and living Savior. Remaining faithful to the will of God, even unto death. Now remember the context. Who is he writing to? He's writing to those first century Christians who are, you know, some of their friends are being thrown to lions. Some of their friends are being set on fire. Some of their friends are being beaten. They've been chased from their home. This is a very difficult time. Caesar, Caesar Nero is reigning. So when he writes this letter to them, this is not a theory he's pointing out. Hey, someday you might face some suffering. And if you ever do, have the same mind that was in Christ. He says, look, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through trials. And my exhortation to you is to have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus. Guys, let's go beyond having the mind of the world. Following the pattern of the world. Jesus Christ is our example. Amen? And he lived and was willing to die that others might come to the Father. It says there, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, does this mean that people who suffer will never sin again? What's the answer? We know that's not true because we will continue to sin until we die. You've heard me say it a hundred times. I'll say it again. As Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And we should sin less and we should be different. But the reality is we will struggle as long as we carry this dead flesh around. We're going to struggle with temptation. That's why we must put it to death daily. But the point he's making is this. Those who've not only turned away from sin, but are making a stand against it, it's a mark of a changed life. Where once they willingly entered into sinful behavior, fulfilling their fleshly desires, they're now willing to suffer and take a stand against the very same sin. That's a life that's been broken clean from a life of sin. Where someone goes from the point where you're living in sin and whatever, and there's no conviction, and hey, I'm all about it, to now you become convicted, to finally you come to a point where you're willing to make a stand against sin to say sin is wrong in your own life, to not compromise even if everyone around you is. That, and if you're willing to go to the point where you may even suffer because of it, you may lose your job because of it. You may lose a friendship because of it. You may lose a, a bid on a job because they find out the stand you're going to take. 
You may lose a job because you won't work under the table. Whatever it might be, you're making a stand for the things of God. And in doing so, it's going to cost you something. That's when your life has been radically transformed. When you go to the place of, of dwelling in sin with no conviction to standing against it with conviction for the things of God. Can I, I'm going to exhort the youth group. There needs to come a time this coming school year where you stop going with the flow with everybody in your class. And you make a stand for the Lord. And you don't worry about what everybody else does. Be a Daniel. We need some Daniels on high school campuses. Amen? Who when everybody else is bowing, they won't. And when everybody else is told to stop praying, they keep praying. And you know what? If you get in trouble for making a stand for God on your campus, your parents will not be mad at you, I promise. And if they are, you send them to me. Amen? You make a stand for the Lord. And there's a time for us to have a marked, changed life, to be different. Where's the change? There's been no change. There's been no salvation. Guys, we need it. Again, we don't change to earn salvation. We change because we've been saved. It's a totally different perspective. Point number two, as it's time to, to live like a Christian. Point number two, stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. Look at verse two. It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Amen, amen, and amen. If you underline words in your Bible, underline that word enough. We've done enough of that stuff, amen? We've spent enough of our time living for the flesh, enough of our time living for the world, enough of our time following after the passions of this life that are in the end bring nothing but death and destruction. We've followed that enough. It's time to let all that go, set it all aside, and seek after the Lord. To delight in the Lord that he will give us the desires of our heart. To seek first the kingdom of God. To stop living for the world and start living for the Lord sold out and unashamedly. Again, when you live for the world, how does that work out? You know, living for the world, how does that work out? Is God wrong? You know, I live for the world, man. It's working out great for me. Yeah, exactly. That's just not true, is it? When you live for the world, again, you've heard me say it before, he's not a no-fun, bummer God who wants to keep you from fun. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. He doesn't say sin, you know, is bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. He knows if you do it, it will harm you. He loves you. The same reason you won't let your three-year-old juggle knives it's the same reason he gives us the directions in the word of God because he knows if we continue on in that behavior, we're going to lose some fingers. Amen? We're going to have the consequences of sin. We've spent enough time pursuing the things of the flesh. Again, youth group, can I encourage you? Don't wait till you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. You know, make that change now and you, won't, you can avoid all the heartache that goes with living a life outside of God's will. Amen? Do it now. Let's get right with him now. Let's make him the priority now. The fleshly lusts are unsatisfying and, and worldly attempt at fulfillment. Guys, fulfillment comes from Jesus Christ. The things the world has to offer is a poor and weak imitation. Why do people get lit? Why do people drink and party and smoke weed and all that stuff? You know why? Because they're, you know, it's amazing. Spirits. We don't need spirits. We got the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a, you know, as Augustine said, there's a God-shaped vacuum 
in the heart of every man. There's something missing, and the world tries to fill it with sex and drugs and alcohol and career and money and stuff and fame, whatever it might be. And guys, the only thing that will satisfy us is when we die to ourselves and we're filled with him. He created us to have a relationship with him. Like a hammer in the hand of a carpenter. Guys, you know what? That hammer could be used as a door jam or something else. that will never be what it was supposed to be. Guys, we're used our life for anything other than being in the hands of our master. Used for his glory. We're never going to be satisfied. The flesh will never be satisfied. That's why it's always striving for more. And then he says this. We spend enough of our time. Enough of our past lifetime. Let's not do the things of the flesh. Let's not fulfill the lusts of men. But let's pursue the will of God. Let's not invest another day, another moment in the life, going back to the life we once lived. Enough. Put it aside. Enough already. And then he begins to describe some of the things we did. Doing the will of the Gentiles. That's the will of the world in context. And then he says, when we walked in lewdness. The word lewdness there. I mean, one who walks in sexual immorality and is proud of it. Does that sound like people you work with? Does it sound like the world we live in today? Isn't it true? Guys are proud of themselves about how many women they've slept with. Yeah, I'm a real stud. No, you're not. You're an ungodly man and you need to repent. Amen? God did not create physical intimacy for anything except the marriage covenant between a man and his wife for a lifetime. Amen? Anything outside of that is outside of God's will. Again, youth group, don't fall for the lie. I know every TV show out there says you need to go out and experience it. It will be worth it if you wait for the husband or the wife that God has for you. You will never regret it. Amen? So my exhortation and encouragement to you is he starts to list, these are the things we used to be, used to be in our life. Enough! Enough with the lewdness. Enough with living a life of sexual immorality and being proud of it. Again, we have parades now of people being proud of their sexual immorality. Marching down the street in pride of their sexual immorality. And people, last week someone came to me and said, you know what, we shouldn't try to legislate morality. We should not point out other people's sin. We should keep that within the church. I disagree. We're called to be salt and light. And people need to see that that is sin. It's outside of God's will because they won't see their need for a Savior until they realize that they are sinners. Now again, we don't come in a self-righteous attitude. We come to them in love, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread because there before the grace of God goes every single one of us, amen? But at the same time, we need to make a stand for holiness. They say, well, should we, uh, should, do you think it would be good to outlaw fornication? Yes. I would vote for that. How about you? Against the law. Put people in jail for that. That would be great. I mean, man, the streets would be empty. There'd be no traffic. It'd be, it'd be incredible. <laughs> but, you know, the point is this. The thing that's going to really transform someone's life, though, is not a law being passed, but a heart being changed. It's when someone's been born again, you don't have to tell them not to kill their, their baby in a pregnancy if they've been born again. Because now they understand the value of that life. You know what? That should be our number one prayer is to see people come to know the Lord. So lewdness. He said, these are the things that we used to do. We walked, when we walked in lewdness, the word lust, again, is a strong desire, again, of sexual immorality. Drunkenness. Now, isn't it interesting that, that lewdness, lust, and drunkenness all kind of go together? Because have you ever noticed that people go out and get drunk as a way of 
you know, bringing down their inhibitions so they can get involved in lewd acts. Where do people go to meet someone of the opposite sex and have a one-night stand? It's the bar. They go to a bar, they drink alcohol, their inhibitions come down. What does it do? It silences the conviction. And so now they feel, they, you know, in a sense, for a moment, they can try to feel good about their sinful behavior. But drunkenness, absolutely. Studies have shown leads to adultery and fornication and sexually transmitted diseases and unwanted pregnancies. And again, so often related to being drunk and having lowered inhibitions and lower conviction. Then it says revelries. This is riotous carousing. You know, you know I, I, it amazes me, it doesn't amaze me, how they try to take words to make sin not sound like sin. You ever notice that? You're an adulterer. No, I'm having an affair. Right? It's a catered affair. What kind of affair is this, right? Having an affair. We're sleeping together. No, you're, you're fornicating. Well, I'm gay. No, that's homosexuality and it's sin and that's outside of God's will. Amen? Gay means happy. You would talk about perverting a word. The point is this. We're trying, the world is trying to dumb down sin to make it not sound so bad. It's not a big deal. Hey, you're just out sowing your wild oats. No, you're outside of God's will. You're rebelling against the creator of the universe, and it's time to get right with him. Amen? Because the direction you're headed, people go, man, Pastor Dave, why do you got to be so direct, man? Where's the love? Here's the truth. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And because the Lord loves us, he's given us the word of God. Do you think if the apostle Paul was pastoring a church today, he might be direct? Or Peter? Amen? The truth is this. We need to hear the truth. You guys all know that I love you. The Lord loves you, but he loves you enough to tell you, you go that direction, it's going to result in harm. Time to stop living like the world. It's time to put all that stuff aside. It's time to make a stand before, for Almighty God, not just at church on Sunday morning, but every single day, in your neighborhood, at your school, and at your place of work. Amen? To stand up for him everywhere you go revelries, drinking parties. Again, drinking parties. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? This is, this is 2,000 years ago. It's right there. They had drinking parties back then. We haven't got it. We haven't made, we've made no progress. <laughs> drinking parties then, drinking parties now. Have you ever noticed how people will find a house, everybody stands around and just stands there drinking alcohol, and they're just, I mean, in college, praise God, I didn't go to very many football. I played football in college. I always got invited. I went to one or two. I thought, these people are straight stupid. They're all standing there, and, you know, they're acting like idiots. I wish I'd had a video camera back then. And the reality is it's just foolish. And he said, these are the things we used to do. As Christians, these things should not be so. Amen? We got no business being in a carousing, reveling, drunken party. No business. Now, there are some would tell you, well, you need to go there and be salt and light and witness to them. You know what? I have found that witnessing to a drunk is not very effective. <laughs> Does not work. He'll repeat whatever you want and forget what he said. Amen? Sober up and let's talk to him at work tomorrow. Amen? Let's be salt and light. It's okay. God, again, we're not being self-righteous. We're not holier than thou. But guys, we need to make a stand for the Lord. And then it says, an abominable idolatries. Guys, idolatry, we often think, again, of the, of the idol, of the huge idol that people are bowing down and worshiping. But guys, we have idols in this country. 
And maybe they're not, you know, statues. But our idols can be our career. Our idols can be that thing you wax in your driveway. You know, our idols can be anything that we make more important in our life than Almighty God. Guys, we can even make our children our idols. We're to love our kids, but we're to love God more. And the best thing I can do for my kids is to love God more than them, because then I'll be the best dad I could ever be. Amen? But in this context, you know what he's talking about? People would get drunk and go down the street drunk and be you know, singing songs and reveling as they worshipped idols. I thought of Mardi Gras. You know, I mean, here they are going down the street, everybody's drunk out of their mind, and oh, right? And I'm thinking, wow, nothing new under the sun. Guys, it should not be so amongst Christians. Wouldn't it be great to have, and they used to have them, you know, the walk for Jesus. Let's have a parade and walk down the street and sing praise songs. We don't need any alcohol, amen? Be not drunk with wine. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need it. Time to stop living like the world and start living for the Lord. It's enough. We've been saved out of that mess. Why do we want to go back? Like a dog returning to his vomit, the Bible says. Why would we go back to that lifestyle? Let's leave that which is behind and press onward to the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Amen? Move past just saying we're Christians on Sunday and living like the world the rest of the week, but actually living sold out and set apart to him all the time. Guys, it's worth it. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. It's time to live like a Christian. Point number three, to live every day in light of the judgment to come. Here's what he says. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. You know, your friends you used to party with, all of a sudden you don't go party anymore. And I'm using that word loosely. Not really a party, right? But those people you used to hang out and get drunk with and go chase women with or chase guys with and those things you used to do and then you got saved and now that you're saved, you don't do that anymore. And this verse says, they think you're strange. Dude, what do you, I've had people say this to me many times. So you don't drink, you don't party, you don't do drugs, you don't, uh, what do you do for fun? You ever heard that question before? What do you Christians do for fun? Sit around and read your Bible? That's people say that to me. Actually, yes. <laughs> Reading my Bible is a lot of fun. And no hangover. Amen? No headache. I don't do anything stupid the next day. Amen? The Word of God rocks. But guys, nobody has more fun than me. Nobody has more fun than you as you're walking with the Lord. Amen? We have an understanding of what life is all about. We don't need the drugs. We don't need the alcohol. I don't need to go out and cheat on my wife. I don't need to go out and try to prove my worth in my career. I do my job as unto the Lord, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a child of the King. That's who you are. And that's what we want the whole world to know. Let's not just talk about our faith. Let's live it out loud. And yes, guess what? It says in this verse, they're going to think you're strange. Dude, that guy's strange. You don't drink, you don't party. We tell a dirty joke, he walks away. Don't want to listen. That guy's no fun whatsoever. High school students. If you're the one standing at school. When I was in high school, they called it being straight edge. You know, you're straight edge. Oh, you don't drink, party, you're straight edge. I don't know if it still means that anymore. But back then it did. And when it did, they would tell you that and they would mock you because you decided you're going to make a stand. Because let's face it, in high school today, most kids don't do that. 
And I'm going to be just as transparent as I can be. Most kids in high school are drinking, they're sleeping around, they're doing drugs, and they're struggling with a lot of stuff. Most kids, not some, most. And guess what? God's called you guys to be salt and light on the campus. God's called you guys. Billy Graham's not coming to your school this week or next month. That's why you're there, and you're called to be salt and light, amen? And the same is true for us. The world's going to think we're strange when we stand for the things of God, but that's okay. Let's be Jesus freaks, amen? Let him, let him call us, let, be identified with the Lord. If I'm going to be strange for something, let's be strange for walking with the Lord. There, and here's the thing that happens, guys. Here's why they think you're strange. Because you're not drinking and partying anymore. And you know what? When you're around them, it brings conviction. Did you know that? Because you're, you know, the Bible says that we're salt and light. When you bring light into a dark room, what happens to the people in the dark? They don't like it. Turn that thing off, man. Dude, it's bright in here. Turn that off. That hurts my eyes. Leave me alone. Go away. If you don't want to drink a party, just stay away from me. But guys, God's called us to go out into what this is indeed as a spiritual battle. As new creations in Christ, the battle's not over. We've been saved. The battle's just begun. And the battle belongs to the Lord. Aren't you glad? He's already won, but God wants us to go out and to, go, and to be able to be salt and light to those who are in the midst of that difficulty. They may mock us day after day after day, but when a trial comes, when difficulty comes, when they want to talk to somebody, when they need to pray with somebody, they're going to show up at your desk. They're going to show up at your front door. They may mock you for a year. They may mock you for five. But you know what? There's going to be a day coming. And I praise God when it, does, you know, when it does happen. Someone will come by and say, well, I know you pray. And I just found out my dad has cancer. Can you pray? There's going to come a time when the partying is not going to work anymore. When the things of this world are not going to satisfy anymore. And guys, it's us making a stand now that's going to be an opportunity to minister to them later. So it says there, they're going to think you're strange because you don't run with the same dissipation. They're going to speak evil of you. They're going to have a problem with you. Verse 5. And it says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Guys, if you walk with God, you'll be judged by the world. If you walk with the world, you'll be judged by God. Amen? Better to walk with God and allow the world to think you're strange sometimes. And guys, may they not think we're strange because we're self-righteous jerks. Amen? May we not be arrogant. May we not be self-righteous. May we not be screaming at people. You know what? We should be loving on them, and we should be an example of Jesus Christ to them. It's been said before, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. Amen? And as we go out, let's live it out loud in front of them. Let them see the Lord in us, but they will give an account. You know, when God changes a life like ours, like yours, we live in such a different way that it becomes a source of conviction to them. But you know what? Many will continue to walk in their sinful behavior. They'll refuse to turn their lives over to the Lord. You know why? Because they don't want to be accountable. You know, we live in a time right now, and again, the, we've lived in it for, for centuries, but certainly right now, where accountability is anathema. Nobody wants to be accountable for anything. They explain away sin. Have you made, isn't it amazing how we explain away sin today? Everything's a disease. It's not my fault. I got, I've got, I'm a sexual addict. That's why I committed adultery 57 times. It's not my fault. 
It's not my fault that I drink, you know, I get the sin of alcoholism. You know what, guys? It's a sin. It's not a disease. It's a choice we make, and God can deliver us from it. Amen? We need to get past ba- taking the blame away. And we live in a, in a time right now where moral relativism is on the rise. Where whatever's good for me is good for me, and don't give me any absolute truths, because if you do, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Let's just have a discussion with no absolutes. That is the biggest waste of time in the history of all mankind. If there's no absolute, why even talk? Aren't you glad there's an absolute truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, and we should never apologize for that truth, because he went to the cross to prove it. Amen? And too often today, oh man, we can't be so, you can't be so black and white about things. The word of God is not gray anywhere. Amen? You read it, it says it. Let's live it. Not apologize for it. Again, share it with people in love always. Never arrogantly, never self-righteously. But again, when you are standing for the things of God, it's going to bring conviction to others. It's going to be irritating to them. They're going to want to remove you as a friend. They're going to want to set you aside. People have said to me when I was a youth pastor for years, I would always tell them, look. They'll say, well, what do I do about my friends now that I'm saved? I said, you know, don't worry about it. Your friends will choose you because one of two things will happen with the people hanging around you. If you're living sold out for God, they'll either get saved or get gone, right? They'll either go, dude, what, tell me what happened to you. And they'll come to know Christ themselves, although they want nothing to do with you. And in either case, praise the Lord. It's worth it. And so we see that the judgment is coming for those who reject it. The conviction has come. The truth has come. They want no part of it. And righteous judgment is coming. Verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also, also to those who are dead. They might be judged according to, the, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now this verse could be totally misunderstood. Remember in the previous chapter we talked about the fact that during the three days between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we know he went down into Abraham's bosom, fulfillment of Isaiah, that he set the captives free. Okay, this is not a second chance at salvation. He's not going down to talk to the dead who rejected God and giving them a chance to be saved. It is appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. There is no purgatory. There's no second chances. That's why today's the day of salvation. Amen? And there should be an urgency in our hearts. What he's talking about here, Pastor Day's opinion, in the context, this is a time when people were being martyred for their faith. This is a word of encouragement that yes, for this reason, the gospel was preached to also those who are dead. You know what? They had been given their life to the Lord. They were walking with the Lord, and they had laid down their life for the Lord. They had died in service to the Lord. And then the rest of the verse says this, that they might judge according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Guys, those who live for God and die in the flesh live according to the Spirit. That's what the verse says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Guys, it's moving day. You've heard me say it before, it's moving day to a much better neighborhood. You close your eyes on earth and you open them up in glory. I love the example of the Apostle Paul. I know I repeat it a lot, but it's so true. He got caught up into the third heaven. He got a glimpse of heaven and he came back, sold out, reckless abandoned to preach the gospel and had zero fear of death. He even said, it's far better if I die, but you know, God wants me to stay with you guys. He wasn't all that thrilled about it. 
Remember, he, they stoned him to death at Lystra. He went right back into the city after he rose from the dead. He said, throw some more rocks at me because I know where I'm going if you kill me. That's living with reckless abandon, amen? That's living a life with the same mind which is in Christ Jesus. Realization that the worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that can happen to me. That's called eternal perspective, amen? Imagine if the entire church started having that mentality. Lord, it's okay. Now, when people die, do we grieve? Of course we do. Are we going to miss them? Without question. Where did Jesus weep? At the tomb of Lazarus. We do weep because we'll miss them. But guys, Christians die well. And they die well because we don't grieve as those without hope, but we know where they're going. And when they die, it only gets better. And the exhortation, the encouragement here is we're not to live like the world. We're not to be worried about what the world can do to us because, again, the worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could absolutely happen to us. It's time for us to live like Christians, to live like a Christian by having a mind of Christ, an eternal perspective, to stop living for the world and start living for the Lord and to live every day in light of the judgment to come. Guys, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You bow now to eternal life, or you bow later to eternal judgment. Amen? Not a popular message today. What what message did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What message did John the Baptist preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What message did the apostle Paul preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What message did Peter preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think that's good company. Amen? And you know why? Because it's a burden to see people come to the saving knowledge of our Savior. They need to know Him. Nothing else matters, ultimately. It is time to live like a Christian, to be people of prayer. Look what it says there in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, the end of all things is at hand. You know what he's talking about? The rapture of the church. Now, it could also have another meaning because many of them are being put to death for their faith. But guys, in either case, whether the Lord returns right now and takes us home or we have no promise of tomorrow, we could walk outside of here and die today, couldn't we? We have no promise of tomorrow. The truth is, the end is at hand and it's nearer than we believe. And we need to be ready and living every day like this could be our last. And the exhortation here is, because the end is at hand, we need to be serious about prayer. Because this could be the last week, the last month, the Lord could come back. He'd come back before the baptism today, and that would be just fine with me. Amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But if he chooses not to, we need to live in expectation that he's coming soon. And we need to be serious about prayer. Hey, guys, I want to encourage you with something as I share this with you. I hope it doesn't ever sound like I'm talking at you i'm talking with you because as i study this throughout the week i'm always convicted and i want to encourage you i've been convicted i need to pray more anybody else agree with that statement for themselves i need to pray more why don't i pray more don't we get distracted don't we allow other things to just consume our time can you imagine if we prayed as much time as we spent watching tv or listening to radio wow How many things am I going to talk to God about? Isn't there a lot to talk to him about? Can I encourage you? Start with this. Start praying for your mission field by name. 
Jesus Christ is coming back, it could be today. If it could be today, shouldn't there be a sense of urgency to see those around us saved? And if there's a sense of urgency to see them saved, shouldn't we be interceding on their behalf? Start praying for your coworkers by name. Start praying for your neighbors by name. Start praying for your friends at school by name. Get the yearbook out and just start going through and praying for your friends. Watch what God does when you pray. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our heart. And I've noticed when I start praying for people by name, I'm more sensitive to an opportunity to share my faith with them. Amen? You start praying for me thinking, ooh, maybe God's going to answer that prayer. It softens your heart toward them. It gives you a sense of urgency. But guys, we pray for others because of the urgency, the fact that Christ could come at any time. But we also need to be praying about our own walk before God because he could come at any time. There are certain times in your day when you do not want the Lord coming back at that moment. Amen? Oh, don't come right now. That would not be good. No, no, no. Oh, that wasn't good. I'm, I'm arguing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. No, no, Lord. You know, guys, we need to live every day like you can come back any moment and pray and be people of prayer. It says in Romans, and do this knowing that the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Guys, are we closer to Jesus coming back right now than we've ever been? What's the answer? Absolutely. So as we are closer, shouldn't there be a greater sense of urgency in our prayer life? A greater sense of urgency to reach out to the lost, to fulfill the Great Commission, to be busy about our Savior's work. Paul wrote these words to the early Christians in Rome, and they believed that the day was near, and people mock it. But that's why I read you that chapter, because we're nearer now than we've ever been. It's when you think he's not coming, get ready, look up for your redemption draweth nigh, the Bible says. So let's live every day in anticipation of his soon return. So it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Again, we need to be seeking the Lord. You know, in the Olivet Discourse, the Lord told us what the world would be like right before he came back. What did he say? There will be wars and rumors of wars and famines. And right, he gives us a list of all the things and they will be growing. Guess what? Is that happening right now? What's the answer? People could say, well, it's been happening all the time. Well, guess what? It's growing in proportion today. And so guess that means we know we're in rapture season. We can't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season, and we're in rapture season. Amen? And we need to be living, again, in realization that we're going to stand before God soon and very soon. Be ready. Jesus Christ is coming back, and I can't wait. And because we know he's coming back, let's live holy, let's preach boldly because time is short. Amen? Pray for those who are lost, let's live holy, let's preach boldly because time is short. Knowing he is coming back soon helps, us, helps to keep us faithful to him. Not to be overwhelmed by our trials, to realize that this too is passing away. What you're going through right now is for but a moment. It's temporary in comparison to the eternal glory which is to come. Verse 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for a love will cover a multitude of sins. Guys, he's telling them in the midst of persecution to pray and to be serious about their prayer. 
to remain faithful. But then he also tells them in the midst of the persecution, above all. You read that? He says, above all. Above all, love one another. Isn't it easy when things are tough to start fighting with each other? In the midst of difficulty, to start snapping. And, and you know, again, I've said this before, the, the divorce rate is astronomical when a husband and wife lose a child. You know, when things get re- very difficult in a marriage or very difficult, you know, we start going after each other. And he says in the midst of all of that, the persecution you're facing, the trials you're facing, the difficulty you're facing, pray. Be vigilant in your prayer, but also love one another. Above all else, love one another. So be sober in your prayers, be vigilant in your prayers, but again, at the same time, be looking around at those around you and have a heart to love and minister to them. The word above all things means in front of, before, everything else. Have fervent love, the word says. Have fervent love. The word fervent there means without ceasing, to be stretched out to strain. It's actually a word for an athletic event where an athlete just literally gives everything he has as he's stretching for the finish line. He's given it all. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have for each other. The kind of love where we give it all. We hold nothing back. We don't allow our trials and the difficulties of life to keep us from loving each other. The word there for love, I'll give you one guess what it is. What do you think it is? Agape. Agape is a selfless love. It's a love where you love someone outside of yourself more than yourself. John 3.16 says, For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Agape is loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. And he says, You have a fervent love for those people outside of yourself more than yourself. That's what the church should be known for. They should be blown away by how much we love each other. The greatest commandment when Jesus was asked, you know, all these commandments, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love others. Amen? And they shall know us by that love that we have one for another. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. How do we know someone's got the Spirit of God living inside of them? The love of God is pouring out of them. If there's no love, where's the change? Where's the transformation? Where's the evidence that someone's life has been impacted by the Holy Spirit? This verse is often quoted at marriages, at weddings. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Agape never fails. Aaron love fails all the time. Aaron love, where we get the word erotic, is what can you do for me? And you know what? As soon as you stop doing for me, I'll find something else better than you to do for me. I'll find a younger model trade you in, right? That's Aaron. Agape is, how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I minister to you? Agape never fails because that agape comes from the Lord. We need to live and walk in agape. But notice what agape love does because it says it covers a multitude of sins. It hides, it hinders the knowledge of sin. Bible says in Proverbs, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers sin. Guys, are we covering up the the frailties of others or are we running around and telling everybody about it? Agape does not run and tell everybody about someone else's shortcomings. Agape prays for them, loves them, covers it, and ministers to them. Amen? That's the body of Christ. You see a brother hurting, don't run and tell five people. Run to him and love on him. 
Minister to them. That's the body of Christ. Where love abounds in Christian fellowship, again, small and even great things are overlooked and forgotten. Guys, if you're holding on to a grudge, that's not agape love. If somebody ripped you off for some money and you're holding out a grudge, that's not agape love. You are trading what is temporal for that which is eternal. You're having a problem with somebody over something that is perishing. Let it go and give it to the Lord and love them unconditionally. That's what God would tell us to do this morning. Amen? Now, it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? The Word of God commands us to forgive others as Christ forgave you. How much did Christ forgive you? Oh. But that guy really, okay, really. And how much did you do against the, oh, well, that's not even close, is it? Whatever they did against you, you've done far more against our Savior. And we're to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. It's time to act like Christians, to have a fervent love for one another, to be reflected in a heart of forgiveness. Notice here in verse 9, it's also reflected in hospitality. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, in those days, what would happen is people were getting chased away because they were being persecuted. And when they left and had to flee for their lives, there weren't a lot of hotels back in those days. And so the people would be running and a family would come into the town you're in, having fleeing for their lives. And God would say, bring them into your home. And not just bring them into your home, but have a good attitude about it. You know what? I'd rather have someone just not do it all at all than do it for me and, and be grumbling about it. Amen? Yeah, you can come on in. All right. I'll sleep in the street before I... You're right. And he's saying, look, it's not just about the actions. It's about the attitude. It's not just what we do, but the heart with which we do it. And guys, guess what? Your house is God's house, not your house anyway. Amen? God's just letting you be steward of his stuff. So if he brings some of his kids to his house, should you let them in? Uh, Let me think. Yes. Lord, it's your stuff. It's your house. Bring them in. Hospitality. They should be, that should be evident in the life of believers. Be hospitable without grumbling. The plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ is a plight for us too. Do you understand that? If our brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting, then we're hurting. And we need to be praying for them. Because they're halfway around the world. You guys know we support, I don't know how many missionaries of the gospel for Asia now. Those guys face persecution like nothing we've, we've ever even imagined. We need to be praying for them. And their plight is our plight. Amen? And we need to be standing alongside of them. And reaching out to them in love. Finally, let's finish off. We're not to grumble. We're not to murmur. We need to have the right attitude. And then finally... Last two verses, it's time to live like a Christian and it's time for us to be good stewards of the spiritual gifts God's given us. Last two verses. It says, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Guess what? As each one has received a gift. The word gift there is charisma. Each one of us has received a gift. When you were saved, God gave you a supernatural gift that goes beyond you. And you know when you know it's really God moving? When it's something you know in your flesh you wouldn't even try. Oh, dude, I can't do that. Good, you're in the right spot. I'm scared half to death. Perfect. God can use you. Amen? It's when you think, you know, God's really blessed to have me on his team now. I know why he saved me, because I'm so gifted. And, you know... Sometimes we think, oh, that musician would get saved. It would be so awesome. Do you think God needs a guitarist? You know what God wants? God wants someone who not who's able, but available. 
God wants someone who, who when, you know what he did, the Bible says, in case you get puffed up, he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if God's using you, what does that make you? You know what? God loves to use those that people are going to be blown away that God's doing it through them. Dude, that must be God because I know that guy and there's no way. Amen? It's supernatural. It's not just taking a natural gifting and putting God into it. It's where something supernatural happens that's outside of your capability. There's no way you could do it apart from Almighty God. You do it with fear and trembling, but God told you so. You go, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'm scared to death. Perfect. That's the person God can use. The context, there's a temptation. You know, things are really tough out there. Let me just hide my gifts until these people go away. Let's wait till they stop feeding Christians to lions. Let's just kind of dial it down for a while. And when things simmer down, then I'll step up again. His exhortation was, don't do that. Take the gift God's given you and start using it today. The exhortation for us, take the gift God's given you and start using it today. Guys, the body of Christ, if we're all eyes, where would be the hearing? You have gifts I don't have. I have gifts you don't have. That's why we come together as a body and we minister one to another. If you don't use your gift, this body is incomplete. Do you understand that? God's brought you here for a reason. Let's step out in faith. Let's use our gifts. Now notice here, he describes the gifts a little bit, and we'll close with this verse. I want to say this too. One of my favorite statements, a friend of mine and I, when we were going through a difficult time at work and facing a lot of persecution, our favorite word to each other each morning was charge. Because I believe, you know what? When persecution is there, that just means God's going to do good stuff. Because the enemy's resources are limited. Where is he going to go where God's going to do great things? You all have gifts. Don't bury them. Don't hide them. And then it says this. I love the word there. It says to minister. We get the word deacon. It says if anyone speaks, let him speak as the, as the oracles of God. Many gifts include speaking, teaching, gift of, of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, exhortation. Those are all speaking gifts. But notice what he says. When you speak, give them your opinion. Is that what it says? It says speak the oracles of God. Guys, people's opinions don't mean much. The word of God transforms lives. Amen? Don't try to give me your opinion. Who cares? What does the word of God say? Oh, that changes everything. So if you have the gift that includes speech, speak the oracles of God. And finally, it says this. Let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. When you minister, the word there is where we get the word deacon. And so if you are, have a, not a teaching gift or a, you know, a preaching gift or an exhortation gift, a word of wisdom gift, you may have a gift, the gift of helps. You may have the gift of administration. But whatever gift you have, do it with the ability God supplies so that God will be glorified. How do you know if somebody's using the gift that God's given them? God, not man, is glorified. If man is glorified, it's not God. Amen? If man is being glorified, run from the building like it's on fire. It should always be pointing to the Lord. He alone should get all the glory. How dare we take a gift he's given us, use the gift in fear and trembling, and then take the credit for what he's done? How foolish is that? Lord, help us to never do that. Our gifts shouldn't be hidden. They should be active and evident. He's called you. He's gifted you. So lastly, if you don't know what your gift is, what should you do? Pray. 
Ask God, what, what gift have you given me? And let me say this. A burden is a spawning ground of a calling. What do you have a burden for? I remember when I became a youth pastor. I would drive down the street. I would see teenagers on a corner. I would pull my car over and get out and talk to them because I was burdened for teenagers. I still am. I always will be. But that burden was there for young people. And then I knew, you know, that's the calling God has placed on my life. A burden is a spawning ground of a calling. If there's a burden on your heart, don't deny it. Don't put it away. Ask God, is that what you want me to do? And you might say, but I can't. Good. You're the perfect person. I can't do it. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm unable. Praise God. That's the person that God can use. If anyone speaks, speak the oracles of God. If he ministers, do it with what God has supplied. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Guys, there's few things greater than God choosing to use marred and imperfect vessels like us to minister to somebody else. What a privilege that we would be tools in the hands of our master. Amen? Thank you, Lord, that you would take us and use us. If someone needs a hug, he'll use our arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, he may use our lips. Sometimes he just wants us to stop and intercede and pray on their behalf. What a privilege it is to be someone that would be used mildly by God. And here's the good news. You're all called. Because if you're saved, he's given you a gift. Let's stir up those gifts. Let's use them for his glory. So it's time to live like a Christian by having the mind of Christ and eternal perspective. To stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. To live every day in light of the judgment to come. To be people of prayer. To have a fervent love for one another and to be good stewards of the gifts God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. We want to thank you for salvation. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the shed blood of your son upon the cross of Calvary. Thank you that we've been adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and assured. Thank you that we're going to heaven. Thank you, Lord, that you hold us in your hand and no one will ever snatch us out of your hand. But Lord, we don't want to have saved souls and wasted lives. Father, we want to live in a way that will bring glory and honor to your name. We want to be busy about your work. So, Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit afresh upon each and every one of us. Lord, that we wouldn't just talk about you, but we would live out loud for you. Lord, help us to be salt and light, to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You You sent your son to hang on a cross for us. May we stand up at work and in our neighborhoods and at school for you. Lord, I want to pray specifically for our youth group. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would raise up some Daniels in the youth group. You'd raise up some Josephs, some Esthers, those who would stand up for you when nobody else does. Lord, I know they feel overwhelmed, but may they be encouraged to know that you plus them is the majority. And Lord, I just pray your blessings upon them. Strengthen them in the most holy faith. For each and every one of us, Lord, we come humble and broken before you. We know, Lord, without you we can do nothing. Lord, keep us in a place of desperation that you might pour us out and fill us afresh with you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.